G'day guys, welcome to episode 179 of Talking With TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We're going to be going back into the mediascape today, and you know, I got a, a few requests after Kenny came on the other day, so today we're going to be exploring who exactly is the mole, Tony Adams. And Tony's been a pretty respected guy across NRL for a number of years, from starting at the uh, Telegraph, and then obviously into Rugby League Week, and then obviously online now as the mole on both Channel 9 and his Twitter page as well, one of the most successful kind of Twitter pages out there in the NRL Mediascape. So he's quite an intriguing guy, and I just wanted to know a little bit more about his backstory, and it was great to get him on. Terrific bloke, and uh, he's got some great cracker stories there too. So really looking forward to getting on Tony today. I'm part of the Diamantina Podcast Network, so check out some of my stable mates, Batuta Advocate, Halfcast Podcast, and Dylan Friends. Highly recommend those potties. Please connect. A lot of people getting in touch lately, whether it's to talk about the footy, some guest requests, or some just suggestions from the show. Please get in touch. You can do old school email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Facebook, Twitter, you'll find me at TalkingWithTK. Or Instagram, you'll find me at Tristan Nell. Thank you very much for everyone leaving the reviews. It really helps me to continue to grow. So whether it's Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or Spotify, please leave me a review. Really, really grateful for that. Now, my book, Talking With Champions, that's out now. So 75 of my best interviews, really compact in five or six of the best bits. Some of the ones you haven't heard on Talking With TK with the likes of Jonathan Thurston, Havana Holyfield, Larry Holmes, George Foreman, Layla Ali, Mario Andretti, as well as a host of Australian sporting greats, especially a lot of NRL players in there as well. So check it out now, Talking With Champions. You'll find it at Dimmicks, Booktopia, or Angus and Robertson. All right, guys, looking forward to today's episode, and I introduce the mole, Tony Adams. All right, guys, my special guest today is Tony Adams. Tony's one of the rugby league's most respected journalists. He currently works for Channel 9 Online Sports under the name of Molly, and he also is the go-to for the latest news and rumours. His career includes over 20 years working at both Rugby League Week and the Daily Telegraph, and I'm pleased to welcome to the potty the mole, Tony Adams. Welcome, Molly. Yeah, pleasure, TK, and uh, good to be here. Uh, good to have Rugby League back after uh, such a long hiatus, and... Uh, you know, the footy's been pretty good, I've got to say. Mate, absolutely. T- totally agree. But, mate, for today, what I want to do, because I had Kenny on a couple of weeks ago, and the podcast absolutely exploded. Because I think people get really? get to really get to know the people they see. And they, like for you guys, you've got a huge social media following. People rely on you for the scoops. But they don't really, at times, get to know who you are. That's what I kind of want to do today. So let's kick things off. I know early days you were an East supporter. But did you grow up in that area? Tell me a little bit about your family background. Yeah, I was born and raised in the East, uh, Willara Public School boy. Uh, I don't think too many great footballers came out of there, but uh, played. Uh, didn't play a lot of uh, rugby league, but played a lot of touch football at uh, the home ground of the Clovelly Crocs, even right up go. until recently, which is uh, Victor Radley's home team. So I've got a, still got a bit of a soft spot for the Roosters and uh, love Victor the way he plays. I think he really embodies everything about rugby league. Well, depending on if I release this video, you're currently wearing a South Sydney Rabbitohs shirt. So mate, that's a little bit controversial. The Rabbitohs, you know, Roosters rivalry here, mate. Yeah, that was actually a bit of a story this year. It was given to me uh, quite a few years ago now by uh, Russell Crowe. Uh, nice. Uh, he, used to, uh, he used to come down to that field where the Clovelly Crocs play and play touch footy with us. Uh, Occasionally, uh, how'd he go? Going back to his gladiator days when he was in in pretty good nick, and yeah. uh, 
Yeah, he, he held his own down there and uh, I sort of ran the game and uh, we sort of stayed uh, in touch all, all this time and uh, still chat occasionally and, uh, yeah, he gave me his T-shirt and I wear it as a memento, shall we say. There you go. So, mate, tell me a little bit about, you know, your first, you know, your love of rugby league because obviously you love it. You That's your bread and butter every single day. What was kind of your first live game that you went to and what was it about rugby league that, that you loved the most? Mate, thinking back, it would have been uh, late 60s. I was about 10 years old uh, and I think it was a Roosters Manly game at, at the cricket ground, okay. uh, sitting in the, in the old Sheridan stand. Uh, the cricket ground, of course, didn't look uh, anything uh, like it uh, does now then. used to have a hill and I used to love sitting on the hill as a kid. Uh, yeah. Sat there for the 1972 grand final, was was too little to see a thing, but uh, <laughs> you know, I can I can still say I was there. And uh, yeah, I uh, I you know growing up in the east, I, I was a, a mad Roosters fan, and uh, you know with, with a team they had you know, Arthur Beats and Russell yeah. Fairfax, John Brass, uh, the late Mark Harris who who just died a couple of years ago. Bill Mullins, who was a, a, a favourite of mine, yep. Kevin Junee, you know, they, they just had a great team. And 74-5, when they won those back-to-back titles, uh, I was over the moon as a teenager and a mad Roosters fan who barely missed a game. Yeah, did you get to interview Arthur over your career? Yeah, I did. I, uh, I got quite, quite close to Arthur when he uh, became coach of the Roosters. Yep. Uh, his, his playing career, I, I watched from the hill so it's one of the great things about uh, league journalism that you get to know the guys who were your childhood heroes and sometimes they disappoint sometimes they end up yeah. uh, old, old drunks who don't want a bar of you but uh by and large they're, they're lovely blokes and uh you know i, I don't think they quite realize what what an, an honor it is for me to to just chat to these guys and think gee you know i used to watch you from the hill yeah. and uh I've got your autograph from when I was 10 years old. Mate, I think the same thing when I've got the podcast happening. When I interview some of the guys that I used to idolise growing up, especially the Sharks players, I had Dean Treister on the other day. He used to be my hero when I was growing up because he was a little like me, ripped in, and he just, yeah, I was over the moon. Yeah, I did a, a legend on Dean uh, for Rugby League Week, and they were my, my favourite stories for League Week, uh, yeah. talking to old players, because you didn't get the... The cliches that we're taking it one game at a time. Yeah, yeah. He's a good player and all this sort of thing. And Plus, they've uh, got life experience too now, so they've got all yeah. that to give. Yeah, exactly. And I think I heard your thing with Dean, and, and like with me, he uh, he didn't hold back. He uh, he certainly oh, he in. Uh, yep. uh, told it as it was, and uh, yeah, he he had a uh, some highs and lows in his time at Cronulla, and uh, I, I was at that that famous game where he played reserve grade and threw a bottle at <laughs> yeah. Chris Anderson. <laughs> uh, it made for a good story. Yeah, for sure, mate. So tell me a little bit about you getting into the media. So the Wentworth Courier, that was your first gig. Now, how did you get that, and what was what was the attraction with media? Well, I um, the Wentworth Courier is sadly one of the many papers that I believe has, has just died in uh, – in recent days mm. and, uh, you know, it's it's a sad sign of the, the times in the media that, um, you know, papers are dying all over the place. But basically it was my local paper. It was a free rag that was delivered on your doorstep, yep. uh, you know, once a week. And uh, there, there was an old guy uh, called Larry Hedger, I remember, who uh, used to write about the roosters every week. And, uh, of course, I devoured every line of it. It was it was very uh, parochial, 
uh, as you'd expect. And yeah. then um, uh, came the start of one season, um, uh, the column wasn't there anymore. And uh, I thought, what's happened here? And I, I rang up the Wentworth Courier and I, I would have been about 18, 19 at the time and I found out Paul Larry had passed on. Okay. So, uh, so you know, sack. Journal, journalism like football is all about opportunity. And yeah. I've then rang the editorial people and said, uh, hey, listen, I'm a Roosters fan. I'm a journalism student, which yeah. I was then. Uh, would you mind giving me a crack? And uh, they called me in and had a chat to me and they said, you're very young, but uh, we'll, we'll give you a go. And, uh, you know, I can still remember every minute of that interview and we're talking, you know, 40-odd years ago. And uh, they said, uh, we'll give you $5 a story. And uh, uh, they were obviously ripping me off but uh, the joke was on them because I would have given them $5 yeah. a story to uh, get my name in the paper and uh, I still remember the my heart beating when they handed me this uh, lovely little press pass it was a, a blue cardboard thing very different to the, the current ones but uh, you know I thought gee you know maybe I've uh, got my foot in the door here and yeah. uh, that's how it all started. Well, now, mate, I see that you went to UTS because I'm going to UTS now to do my postgrad in sports media. But that was kind of your first bit of education, right? Yeah, it was, and it was. It, I've got to say, it wasn't a, a great course uh, for working in the media. It, it was very political mm. back then. The the people running it were they had this Marxist lean to them, and uh, they wanted to change the media. And I'm I was sitting there in classes, and they were just pointing out. This is wrong in the media. That's wrong in the media. I thought this is the media I want to work in. You know, I don't. I don't yeah. want to know what's wrong about it. Uh, I want to know what's uh, you know how I get in the, in there. And uh, so, as I told you, I had my foot in the door. I went with Courier. Then I, um, from memory, I, I had a letter published in Rugby League Week, and it was okay. the the letter of the week. And I got uh, a ten dollar check for it. So <laughs> I thought it is another little step in the door, and I sent a letter because, of course, there were no emails back then to uh, Jeff Prenter, the editor. Uh, he sent one back saying, uh, come on in and have a chat. Okay. And, uh, you know, that, that was when, you know, things really ramped up and basically he offered me two, three days a week and uh, I said to the uh, University of Technology, stuff you. And uh, I you had to do like 30 units to get the degree. I was up to like 27, but I thought, you know, I've got a job. I don't need this. You didn't and, finish. Uh, so Holy. I left. No. God. <laughs> what did your mum and dad think about you leaving uni? They would have killed you. Well, they weren't that happy, and they, they weren't that happy when I went there for starters because back then, and I'm really showing my age now, it wasn't known as a University of Technology. It was called the, the New South Wales Institute of Technology. Okay. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So my, my parents were very upset I wasn't going to uni. My my brother, who's four years older than me, was a doctor and mm. collecting degrees left, right, and centre. On I was a bit of a black sheep of the family. So, <laughs> uh, but so you know, you, you got to you follow your dreams yeah. and, and do your best. You're an early Molly. You were Molly back then. No, no, no. Molly uh, started probably in the '90s as a, as a column in rugby. Yeah, League I remember. Uh, it. Yeah. Uh, again, before the internet days, and uh, it was just an anonymous column. Um, but it was sort of a very poorly kept secret. I found every time I, I bagged a coach uh, in the column, he'd be straight on the phone to me. So uh, <laughs> you know, there's not many secrets in rugby league even back then. Mate, rugby league week, I actually did my my work experience in year 10 in 98 there. So that was that was pretty cool because I used to buy it every single week. That's why I knew 
you know, your rumor collar. So that's, mate, it's that day that it kind of closed down in, what was it, 2017. How did that, how did that make you feel? Yeah, it was um, almost surreal, wasn't it? Like, I mean, it, it had been something that had been around since I was a kid. I remember paying 20 cents uh, mm. and reading on the bus on the way to school. Uh, through most of my, Bible. yeah, uh, it was a Bible, mate. Most of my childhood, and, and so many other people uh, had similar experiences. Uh, I think it lasted forty something years, and uh, you know, apart from anything, I, I, I was out of a job. So it was it was a lot to process, and uh, it was sad. But um, you know, we we sort of had fears, like a lot of these things. You hear the rumours, um, yeah. You know, magazines worldwide have been closing for the last. 10, 15 years, and I think there's one simple reason for that, and that's that people don't read anymore. They just tweet and look at their phones. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's it's a, a sad state of affairs. But, uh, yeah, it sort of left me out in the cold. I mean, this is all I've ever done for, um, you know, 40 years, and all of a sudden, um, you know, basically uh, for overnight it was gone. Yeah. I tell you what I miss, Molly. I miss Around the Grounds on 2UE. I miss obviously rugby league week because that's where you get all your your rumors and your actual signing information, and then obviously the big league magazine, like obviously the paper will print the teams, but they don't print the lower grade teams. So you used to go there for a source of who's coming through the ranks. So those three together, that was my childhood growing up in the nineties. It was brilliant. Yeah, and I was the same. Like you, you, you went to the game and you bought your big league, didn't you? That was uh, mm. that was all, all part of the game day experience. And you know, I was there. 12 o'clock every uh, Sunday afternoon back back on the old days of the, the Sydney Sports Ground, which was a great old ground, uh, yeah. another one that's gone, sadly. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd watch under-23s or third grade, watch reserve grade, and then watch the big boys go around. And, yeah, you, you had your, your big league there, and uh, it was an, an indispensable tool. So you raise a good point, you know, what, what's going to happen from here on in? Yeah, who knows. But, uh, mate, early on, did you have a, a mentor? Because, you know, we all we all struggle when we first come in, in on the scene, but you know over time you become a very very accomplished writer. So was there an, was there an early mentor that really helped you in that area? Yeah, I'd say the the two early editors of, of Rugby League Week, Jeff Prenter, who were well known in the in the industry, very very uh, colourful, eccentric, even man. Yeah. Uh, he, he's in his eighties now, but still going strong. He he founded the magazine and, and gave him my shot. So. I've got to mention him, and then uh, uh, after a couple of years, Ian Heads came in and okay. replaced him, and yep. he came from the Telegraph and was a uh, totally different character, very very straight up and down, uh, but a, a real man of principle. And, uh, you know, he also taught me a lot, and, uh, you know, I, I, I valued everything I learned from those two guys. Uh, and from there I went to the Mirror and uh, Peter Fralingos, yeah. who you've no doubt heard Chippy. of, was uh, my boss. and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a real character. I mean, every, every day was uh, different with Chippy, a lot, lot of laughs, a lot of, uh, lot of banter. What's your best Chippy story? Uh, probably, yeah. Uh, uh, I've got to think of one we can uh, mention to a uh, an audience. Uh, <laughs> Did you guys we, used uh, to get on? You're not a drinker, are you? So, no, I'm not. Yeah, no, so you never got on the drink together. And, and Chippy wasn't much of a drinker either. Okay. A lot of the guys in the old mirror were, I've got to tell you, because uh, in those days you'd start work at 6, 7 o'clock. You'd be finished by 2 in the afternoon. And uh, I used to go home, but most of my mates went straight to the 
the uh, local pub, uh, the, it was called the Evening Star. We labelled it the Evil Star. Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of atrocities went on there. But, uh, yeah, I'll give you a good uh, chippy story. Not not football related, but it'll tell you what uh, what sort of guy he is. We'd, uh, we'd go out every morning or, or lunch and have, have breakfast or lunch or whatever. Yeah. And uh, one day he ordered the, the soup of the day. And the, the, the soup turns up. And uh, there's a moth in his suit, and he calls the the, uh, the, the, the boss of the restaurant over and says, "Hey, mate, what's this in my soup?" And the guy just looks at him, and he says, "It's a moth." <laughs> and Jimmy just just didn't know what to say. He said, well, well, you asked, yeah. like "I was a freaking idiot." I mean, he had me. I asked him what it was. He told me it was a moth. <laughs> 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 Maybe he had to be there, but it was very funny at the time. <laughs> he, he was a brilliant writer, eh? Like, I still remember some of the stuff because Dad used to bring the paper home every day and some of the things he used to write. And then, obviously, he was very talented on the radio as well. He was that kind of, I don't know, he was that middleman, wasn't he, on the radio on TV? Eh? Yeah, he was. And uh, he and Ray Hadley formed a, a, a great partnership. And, mm. you know, Ray was such a great caller and still is. And, uh, Peter was the you know the the nuts and bolts newsman, and uh, yeah, he, he he was a fierce competitor. Uh, you know, I um, I saw on many occasions uh, uh, chief executives back then and uh, coaches or whatever tell him a lie, and uh, when he found out it was a lie later on, as in you know, no, we haven't signed this bloke, or yeah. no, we haven't signed that bloke. Uh, He'd ring him up and he'd give him a fearful gobful, and uh, they didn't do it again. And uh, it, it, it's not my style, but uh, you know, I, I had to admire him for it. He was a, a man of real principle, and uh, you know, if, if someone did the wrong thing by him, uh, he let him know it pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, you just mentioned talking to CEOs, and I've, I guess players are in that as well. Compared to what it was back then, how much has that landscape sort of changed, and how much more difficult is it for you in today's system? Kind of go. Oh, totally different. Like, yeah. uh, as I said to you, we, we used to go into the office at about uh, six or seven in the morning. Yeah. We would be ringing these uh, club officials, coaches, even players on their home phone numbers at probably 7.30 in the morning and yep. uh, having a chat to them. Uh, these days I, I don't even talk to chief execs because, uh, you know, you, there's so much spin doctoring going on. Uh, often they won't answer their phones. And uh, so, yeah, the the game has changed, and sadly with players too. You know, your players used to be readily available. Now you've got to go through uh, media managers, the yep. players' managers, spin doctors. Uh, you know, the, the the game has really changed, and players and journos got on very well then. And uh, you know, admittedly, some of the the rift that's happened is is the journos' fault because you know we're writing different stories to what we we're writing. Back then, but uh, basically the, the the players are different these days, and they're they're getting caught out in in trouble more these days, and it's all uh, because of these things. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we get sent uh, videos, photos of players misbehaving, uh, and they also get sent to the NRL and the police uh, often, mm. and then you you can't ignore it; it becomes a story. Uh, you know, I'd much prefer to write about the football, and quite often I, you know, people send me videos of players doing all sorts of things. Uh, a classic example, I guess, in recent times was the, the Penrith sex scandal. You know, yeah. People were sending me videos left, right and centre. At one stage I put on Twitter, 
please stop sending me these videos. <laughs> I'm sick of seeing them. And there are all these other people saying, who's in it? Who's in it? Tell I want to see it. I want to see it, you know. Whereas, you know, so there's a bit of hypocrisy out there among the fans, I think, because they, they keep bagging the journos saying, you know, we want good news, we want good news. But, you know, if I put a story up about a, a player visiting sick kids in hospital, no one know, cares. three or four people will comment. But yeah. if there's a sex scandal, even if I'm not the one writing about it, a hundred people will yeah. me, tell me about it, let me see it. So, you know, what people say and what they really think are two different things. And it's a bit of a dilemma for journos because we sort of stuck in the middle and uh, the, the, the players and clubs like painting us as the bad guys. But um, really, uh, you know, at times I think the players have, have got to look at look at themselves. And I guess the, the best example of that is the, uh, early this year that um, incident with the Bulldogs uh, when they went bush and uh, a couple of the players yeah, picked the up a couple of schoolgirls. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that was just, just horrific. Uh, and, you know... That, a lot of fans and I think the players themselves couldn't see the problem. You know, it's it's a, a strange world we're living in, I'll put it that way. Yeah, that, that strained relationship from the good relationship you had back in kind of that 90s, early 2000s to what it is today, when did you start seeing that kind of change? Uh, I've got to say another tough time in the game and that was Super League. Okay. Uh, which was a, a horrible time to be a news limited journalist because again we were, we were caught in the middle. You know, I um, I tried being fair and balanced and reporting both sides of the story, but uh, you know it was a, a bitter time for the game. And you know you can understand that clubs were dying. You know, lifelong friendships were were being broken. Yep. And um, uh, anyway, at that stage things became very stage managed. That's when the the media managers came in. Yep. That's when the real spin doctoring came in. You know, but before that, um, in in the eighties, when when I started, uh, in the early nineties, you ring a player at home, you have a chat with him, no problem. After a game, they'd throw the dressing room doors open. Uh, if a player had a problem with you, uh, you know, he, he'd call you out over it when he saw you. He'd say, "Hey, I didn't like that story. I didn't appreciate mm. it." You know, you'd, you'd work it out as, as men. You you could have. Uh, agree to, to disagree. Uh, you know, the, these days, so many times I'd go to games, uh, I'd, you, now you, you wait outside the dressing room, they very rarely let you in, uh, you ask to talk to a player, uh, you're waiting half an hour and then uh, you get told, oh, sorry, he went out the back door, you know, knowing that you wanted to talk to him, uh, you know, the, the, the modern-day player. I mean, there are exceptions and, and there are some very good ones but a lot of them just don't uh, don't get on with the media and uh, try to avoid us um, at every point. You know, they, they do their uh, mandatory two or three media sessions a week, which you, you, you know you see do. up on, yeah. on Fox Sports News, which are, are just very just rubbish sterile, anyway. You know? Yeah, uh, talking about the weekend. Yes, they're a good team. We have to respect them. You know, our forwards have to lead from the front. You you don't get the the good colourful stories you used to get in the. Uh, in the old days, and I think that the game's poorer for it and, and the fans are too, and, uh, and it's one reason um, magazines are struggling uh, and newspapers because the stories just uh, aren't there that uh, were so common in the good old days. Yeah. Now, Molly, for, for you journos that have been around for a little while, you know, Fox Sports at the moment, I think they're probably the most, the most terrible at it. Just the clickbait stuff where they're leading you to articles that aren't true and they're kind of not even related to the headline. What's kind of your take on kind of where they're heading with that sort of area of, of media? 
Yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, I don't want to bag other areas of the media, but it, but you, you're right in that it, it is. It has become all about clicks, and yeah. uh, you, you've got to be careful not to oversell a story. Like if if you put up a, a, a headline now, uh, you know, superstar leaves the Roosters, and it's uh, you know some guys played three games, and you you click on it, uh, you know. You have every right to be pissed off. Uh, yeah. And I, I guess the, the good thing about that, the, the fans are calling it out now. Like uh, the, the, they'll they'll say, uh, you know, that's clickbait, that's clickbait. But, you know, I'll, I'll make, say, a comment on a story or a comment on, you know, I'll say that was a forward pass. Yeah. And some idiot will, will come back on Twitter and say, that's clickbait. And I'm, I, I go to him and say, hey, mate, there's nothing to click. <laughs> so, I'll tell you another good thing, but, mate, at least you're putting your name to it. A lot of the other stuff, they put staff writers or something. Like for me, if you want to put an opinion out there, have the guts to put your name next to it. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. But then I get people who bag me and say you're hiding behind Molly. But, but uh, everyone knows who you are. Yeah, and here I am talking to you without, uh, you know, uh, wearing a uh, – a mask over my face. <laughs> Have you got a mask there? <laughs> I outed myself a long time ago, so uh, you know p- people know who I am. And and I've got to say uh, that that in a sense probably saved my career because once Rugby League Week died, I was sort of you know at a loose end, and you know it was it was very hard to get a job in sports journalism, and still is. But um, Channel Nine saw that I had you know over a hundred thousand followers, so. Um, they signed me up for Wide World of Sports, and uh, this is where I am now, and life is good. Yeah, mate, social media, a lot of people don't like using it. Like, Kenny doesn't use it, Hooper doesn't use it. What was it about social media? Did you just see a gap in the market? Yeah, I um, I mean, I could see the, the figures for Rugby League Week were every year were steadily going down, down, down. Mm. I just started Twitter originally as a, as a piss take, you know, as, as the mole, <laughs> you know, I just thought, what the hell, let, let's try this. But my numbers just kept growing up, up and up because, yeah. you know, you, you put a story about a signing up and, and those were the days when, you know, of course, Rugby League Week, we only came out once a week. So if a guy signed on a Thursday, uh, you know, I couldn't write about it. It wouldn't come out till the next Thursday. And I knew it, the story would go off. So, you know, why waste it? So I put it on Twitter and, I think the the fans appreciated that, and uh, they, they, there was a sort of golden age of Twitter. I think it's sort of waned a little bit uh, these days. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I was getting you know growing by like a thousand a month, yeah. uh, and it's and that certainly slowed. But uh, still get plenty of feedback. Like if, if I put up uh, you know a comment, like I said a minute ago uh, during a game, that that was a forward pass. I'll I'll get a hundred people saying. Yeah, Molly, you're right, and another hundred saying you're a dickhead. So, yeah. you know, it's obviously people now watch the game like this. You know, one hand, uh, yeah, on their always phone, one hand in the game, and and it's good. No, I, I love that inter- interaction with the fans uh, because ninety five percent of them are good. Uh, you've, you've got the rat bags, and I think that's why. If you ask the uh, guys like Paul Kent and James Hooper why they're not on it, uh, you know, that's what they'll tell you that that they they just don't like dealing with the rat bags and uh, they, they used to upset me at first but uh, you know now I just you know it's water off a duck's back if if they're really bad I'll block them uh, sometimes I'll engage them okay. and they they're, they're sort of that wrapped to get a response that uh, you know they'll say oh sorry Molly I 
you know, I might have been a bit heavy there. So, you know, there, there, there's a fair bit of keyboard worrying going on yeah, out there. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, if, if you can sort of break down that, um, you know, sort of distance between the journalist and, and the fan, um, you know, they, they become much more reasonable. Yeah. Now, like you, you just did mention it, you know, that the hate, the haters on there, like did it affect you a, a lot at, at first? Yeah, it did. It, it uh, you know, you, you, you wouldn't be human if you, if you don't take it personally. Yeah. I don't know, um, you know, so, some of the commentators at the moment who are, are going through through hard times. Uh, someone like Erin Molan, who's mm. who's been absolutely copying it, been for, you know, uh, basically making a mistake and something she apologised for, mm. you know, pretty much straight away. But uh, people people won't let it rest, and uh, yeah, it, it it does get to you, and you know, it's um, you know, you you just sort of can't help yourself. You sort of try not to look, but you. You, you still have a peek and see what people are saying. And it, it's like, you know, when, when when I get a signing story wrong, uh, which happens, and, and when I say uh, wrong, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get told by even a player, you know, I'm going to St George, but then mm. the next day Cronulla will come up with a, a, a better offer and so the player changes his mind. I mean, we, we see that all the time and, and people don't seem to realise, you know, it's, it's a business like any other and... Uh, you know, business decisions are made and and changed, and backflicks ha- happen. And uh, you know, so whilst you are technically wrong, you were right at the time. Uh, but you know, they they just love giving it to you, and it it, it does wear you down. That, that's for sure. But um, you know, it, it, Twitter for me is a, a necessary evil. You know, because I've got that big following, and yeah. and wide world of sports, you know, lot likes uh, me to engage with the following. Um, you know. I use it and, you know, just take the good with the bad. Yeah, you know, you just you mentioned before about tweeting during games. It seems, because you're a non-drinker, but Molly at times seems like he's a drinker. Is, uh, it, is there a persona? Is there, is there a switch that you turn on when you're Molly? Yes, there, there is definitely one. Well, uh, there, there are some quotes that uh, make Molly look like a bit of a sexual deviant too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, uh, it's all part of the persona and... Uh, my partner, she says to me, uh, "Should you really be saying this?" And I, my defence is, "Well, it's not me saying it; it's Molly, and Molly's a character." So, <laughs> and some people get it, but sometimes sarcasm is is lost, uh, you know, in uh, in social media, as you know, as in with an email, you 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 know, you might send someone something sarcastically, and he's taken it the wrong way. I, you know, I think everyone's been in that situation. So sometimes I've got to say, "Hey, listen." That was a sarcastic comment, you know. It was meant in jest, but uh, again, people like taking it the wrong way and quoting me out of context. And I think that's one reason a lot of players aren't on social media, which is sad. Like you, you look at five years ago; I'm yeah. sure there were a lot more players there, but they they just cop so much hate the players from mm. from fans, and and sometimes fans of their own club. Uh, you know, after a loss, after they miss a tackle, you know, like. Um, Oh, I can't remember who the player was, but someone called a player a coward the other day for, for missing a tackle, and I straight away jumped on him and I said, hey, listen, mate, you know, there's, there's no cowards playing first no. row rugby league. You know, what what those blokes do and go out there and put their bodies on the line every week, uh, you know, they're, they're brave and tough and, 
you know, I, I respect them all. I, you know, I, I have a crack at them occasionally myself, but, uh, you know, there's certainly no cowards out there. Yeah, for sure. Now, Molly, do you ever talk to yourself in the third person? Do you go, Molly said, you know, you, you find yourself doing that? Occasionally, yeah. I mean, that, the, I made that my signature early on. I don't know why, just, you know, talking in the third person. Uh, was some television character used to do it. I can't remember if it was someone on Seinfeld or I think, I think it was George actually for a while. <laughs> George went through that that stage and I thought it was, was pretty cool and I've sort of kept it up. But if I say something really serious, I sort of go back to the first person. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not taking the piss out of myself. Molly, you lived in America for a little while, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, married to an American lady. We, we actually lived six months here and six months there. Okay. But, uh, was that tough for work? Yeah. Yeah, it made, made the job a lot harder. Like uh, the games were played in the middle of the night and I'd uh, I'd get up and watch the Origins and Grand Finals, but, uh, you know, I would have ended up an insomniac if I watched every, mm-hmm. every round there. But we we lived there from June till about Christmas, so okay. half of it was off-season, but it, it was it was definitely harder to manage and it's a, it's a lot uh, easier being uh, back in Oz and uh, you look at everything that's going on in America at the moment, I, I think I made a big yeah, wise decision, very good decision. To, yeah. to move back. For sure. So what's next for Molly? Because I see that you've got a podcast. You started that this year. Now, yeah, is that kind of yeah. the next evolution for the for the mole? Well, yeah. I mean, podcasts in the way of the future, don't they? I don't, I don't need to tell you that. Uh, p- people seem to, to love them. Uh, you know, again, it goes back to uh, my theory that people don't read anymore. They, they just like to... Uh, watch uh, TV and uh, listen to podcasts. Yeah. And uh, I guess it's, it's an ideal way to spend a bit of time while you're on the bus or the train or you've got uh, half an hour with nothing to do and uh, hopefully you, you want to listen to a bit of footy. Yeah, for sure. Now, mate, what's the key? Because over your time you've been very good at building relationships. One yeah. I wanted to touch on just to finish up was Tim Sheens because he invited you onto the bench for the 2005 you know, grand final, which is incredible. What's the key to good relationships and how did you, you and Tim become good mates? Yeah, you've, you've done your homework, TK. I'm impressed. Uh, yeah, that was that was one of the best nights of my life. Uh, uh, but uh, going back to the beginning, Tim got the coaching job at Penrith and very smart man, Tim, and one of the nicest blokes in the game. And he's he's still involved. He's over in England with Witness. But uh, yeah. anyway, back then he, he realised the, the value of the media. There, there were no sort of player managers back then. The, the media was, you know, not not 50 journalists. There were probably 10 guys riding yep. rugby league and, and we just became close and he would, like if he wanted to sign a player, I, he'd get me to um, to uh, talk to the player and sound him out for him, which, uh, you know, sort of crossing the line a little bit. But uh, I would never, you know, write a story saying that uh, Penrith's chasing this guy. So, you know, that, that immediately built up a trust. Um, uh, then to cut a long story short, uh, uh, Tim sort of felt it was time to move on from Penrith, but he didn't he didn't want uh, uh, Penrith to sort of know that he had itchy feet. Mm. So he, he got me to ring uh, Canberra, uh, their, their chairman, uh, John McIntyre, and arrange a meeting for him uh, and I'll, I'll never forget, they, they sort of met halfway between um, Penrith and um, Canberra around Goulburn, and I arranged that meeting between the two of them. And uh, then 
fast forward about 20 years, uh, the Tigers were having all sorts of trouble getting a coach. Yeah. Uh, I remember they almost had Craig Bellamy. They almost had someone else. And um, Tim said uh, to me, uh, uh, I don't want to be seen to be asking them, but uh, have, a, have a word to them. So um, I uh, rang Steve Noyce, who was the, the Tigers' chief executive, nice fellow I knew well. And I said, hey, listen, um, if you're still looking for a coach, I can recommend this guy. Okay. And, uh, you know, so... I like to think I've played a little bit of a part in, in league history. And uh, then when the Tigers make it the grand final, I said, Tim, I've never asked you for anything, but I'd love to sit on the bench. And uh, to his credit, he, he didn't even hesitate. He said, sure, you're wow. on. And, uh, you know, the, of course, that, that was, you know, the, the magical Benji past grand final. Paddy Richards. And, uh, and, yeah, and just to, to, to be sitting on the bench there, you know, full house, 80,000 people, Probably ninety percent of them screaming for the Tigers. It was a great night, and uh, and whilst I, I don't support a team now, I was very much a, a Tigers fan then because of my friendship with Tim. And I I still look at the the footy that Tigers team played, and it was you know it, 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 magical. it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. You know, Brett Hodson, uh, Scotty Prince. Yeah, mate. You know what I was thinking? They could play right now. Like with the new oh, rules, yeah, they're, they're with the new rules, now, they? they could yeah. they would absolutely thrive with that smaller team. Yeah, exactly, and the, the you know the speed they had and the quick play of the balls and throwing the ball around. Yeah, they'd they'd, they'd love it for sure. Yeah. Well, what a pity we can't uh, send them through a time tunnel and and bring them back. Oh, for sure. Now, mate, a couple of little opinion things just to wrap things up. Okay, first one. What are you feeling about the the new one ref and the new rules? But I like it. Um, you know, pe- people were complaining at first, saying it's too much like touch football, uh, too fast. And I, I, I could see where they were coming from. But to, to me, uh, you know, it's all about uh, throwing the ball around, uh, being less predictable, less, you know, six hit-ups and a kick. Uh, you know, and we're seeing that. We're, we're seeing the, the centres get more football. We're seeing the halfbacks uh, more involved. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's great. Uh, you know, it, the last couple of years, every time there was a penalty, uh, a team would stop and have a chat, and you know all momentum just went out of the game, and and uh, you know it 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 really at times became a little bit boring. Now now it's it's faster. The the one ref, um, you know, I guess the, the judge is still out on that, in that there've been a, a couple of clangers, but the mm. the, uh, the captain's challenge is there, but the the captains haven't worked it out, have they? Some, no, some of, some of them are terrible. <laughs> I was saying, because I'm good uh-huh. mates with a lot of the refs and even I discussed with them, you don't use your, your captain's challenge till the last 10 minutes of the game. If you're using it for a knock-on in the first half, you're an idiot. Yeah, exactly, particularly when it is a knock-on. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, like you, you look at it and you think, what are these guys thinking? You know, And, and I think it, it comes back to a lot to the players' mentality. They, they don't like taking responsibility. You know, They, they make a silly error. Uh, they try blaming someone else. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so they convinced the, the captain to do the challenge and, uh, you know, it's a disaster. Like, as you say, you lose your challenge in the first half. It could cost you the game. I mean, we've, we've seen some close decisions at, at the end of games and teams you don't have it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, the next one, obviously, Peter Vlandy's a bit of a saint at the moment, but did you ever interview him before he got to rugby league? No, no, I've, I've had absolutely nothing to do with him, but I've been watching him, I've been following him, you know, everything he's done. And and when he said, you know, we'd start on uh, whatever date it was, uh, May 28th, mm. I thought, this guy's dreaming, yeah. you know. And I even said it. I said, 
uh, you know, good luck to him. I hope he's right, but I just can't see it happening. But, geez, he, you know, he, he's done a great job. I, I think the, the one slip-up he made, he, he didn't come down heavily enough on the, the guys who oh, the uh, breach course, ISO, uh, yeah. Yeah, not social distancing. And uh, that ended up blowing up in his face when Nathan Cleary was caught a second time. Yeah. Um, you know, so Absolutely. I think you learn a bit of a lesson there. But, you know, good luck to him. Uh, and I will say, uh, you know, I've got nothing against Todd Greenberg, but I think if, if we had the old administration in charge, who knows, we probably still wouldn't have any footy on. Yeah, true. Mate, you know, just mentioned Todd Greenberg, who obviously just stood down. Who do you feel should be a good next CEO for the NRL? Uh, well, as far as I can see, it looks like being Andrew Abdo, and I've, he's another guy I, I haven't anything to do with. But, mm. um, you know, watching him, he seems to have a, a good feel for the game. He's South African, but we, we won't hold that against him. Uh, you know, he seems, seems to have adapted the league <laughs> pretty well. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with him. He, uh, you know, seems to be playing it fair and, and certainly running off for Landys. And, and, you know, between the two of them, they, they've formed a great partnership. and. You know, the, the game is really going ahead in leaps and bounds. Yeah, okay, last question. Now, Molly, if you had to expand the NRL to two new cities, where would Molly like the expansion to go? Yeah, I think we should have never left Perth. I, I thought we had a, a good foothold there. And, again, I, I think that goes down the, to Super League. We had, we had too many teams, and uh, so we, we, we got rid of Perth. But, you know, it's a, it's a, a big city, Perth. It, it makes us more national yep. and uh, there, there's a lot of uh, expats there from uh, New South Wales and Victoria and uh, New Zealand for that matter. I've, I've been over there a couple of times for games and there's a good solid base and the other one that, that just makes sense is, is the Central Coast. It's, yeah. it's growing so fast, uh, a lot bring, of young families. And, uh, would you bring the, the bears, bears back? There. Bring back? Yeah, the bring bears. the bears. How good was Bear Park back in the day, Molly? Oh, mate, it was great. I mean, it was a horrible place to watch footy in that. Uh, you couldn't park like either. It's a, Jesus. It's the wrong shape. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you you really needed binoculars to see the players on the far side of the field. But Bear Park on a Sunday afternoon was a bit like Leichhardt. It was just, just humming, you know, so many people and so much noise. And, and the Bears, you know, they were kind of like the Warriors are now. They're everyone's second favourite team. Everyone had a bit of a soft spot for them, I guess, because they struggled for so many years and hadn't won the comp since the 1920s. And, uh, yeah, another casualty of Super League. Uh, They had that merger with Manly. That just never worked. And, uh, you know, Manly was smart enough to survive. And there's still people who who say to me, you know, I haven't been to a game since the Bears died. So I really feel for people like that. Yeah, Molly, what was your favourite back in the 90s with all the boutique, you know, grounds around Sydney? What was your favourite to work on on a Sunday, Avi? But uh, I guess uh, Leichhardt had a special charm, mm. uh, except if you wanted to go to the toilet or if you wanted a, a drink. <laughs> That's or the same as Belmore spot. too, yeah. So, <laughs> Belmore so, was the well, same. <laughs> uh, uh, mate, I, I've got to say my, my favourite ground of all time, and I, I was dirty, they bulldozed, it was, it was the old sports ground where okay. the Roosters used to play. And then the Sydney Football Stadium, you know. I'm they still bulldozed that. They, they bulldozed <laughs> Yeah. And I, I drive past it occasionally and all you see is, you know, it looks like someone dropped a bomb on it. And I'm, I'm just, sure. you know, it just makes me feel sad. I, there were so many great games there, you know, that 89 grand final, Sheenzy taking the Tigers to, uh, uh, sorry, the, the um, Raiders to a, a great Raiders. win over the Tigers. And 
you know, probably the greatest grand final of all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I'd have to say those two. Well, Molly, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Before I let you leave, everyone get following Molly. Twitter, you'll find him at nine underscore Molly. He's the mole on Facebook, and you can also find him the mole podcast. Molly, go get Mrs. Mole, mate. I really appreciate you uh, joining me on the potty, mate. That's probably her ringing. My pleasure, mate. All right, bud. Catch you soon. Guys, was the mole. Really hope you enjoyed that. I know you guys really liked the last potty with with Kenty. So if you want to see any more media people onto the potty, give me a yell. I'd love to to get some more on there. Next up on the show, it's going to be Thursday. We're going to drop two shorter, little shorter podcasts. They're kind of 45, 50 minutes, these ones. So Blake Braley is going to be joining me from the Cronulla Sharks. So really looking forward to getting Blakey on the, the potty as well. He's got, you know, he's a great player. I hope he really continues to develop. He's only young. He's really been put straight in the starting lineup this year. So he's going pretty good. So Blakey's, Blakey's got a good backstory as well. So look out for that podcast, and that one drops on Thursday. Next up on the potty, Andrew Bo- Bobcat Ryan. I've been doing plenty of the, the Canterbury boys lately. Did did a potty with Nigel Vangana as well as Daryl Halligan over the last few weeks. So plenty more in store for whether you're a Bulldogs fan. You just love those characters that came out of the doggies as well my book talking with champions it's out now so 75 of my best interviews including some unseen podcasts on talking with tk with the likes of jonathan thurston Avani holyfield larry holmes george foreman Layla lee mario andretti it's perfect for a gift or a little bit of motivation so like i said 75 of my best interviews broken down in the five of the six best bits you'll find it at dimmick's booktopia and angus and robinson and it's called talking with champions or hit me up and i'll point you in the right direction Continue to please connect with me on any of the socials, Facebook, Twitter, I'm at Talking with TK. Instagram, you'll find me at Tristan Nell. Always hit me up, always up for a yarn about the footy or give me some suggestions for some guests, especially as I head towards that 200 potty mark. So, guys, I really appreciate you joining me today. Stay safe out there. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.